Welcome to the Longest Stride podcast. Each week, we bring you engaging conversations with the global running community. We interview community builders and leaders and the incredible runners who inspire us all. We're by runners for runners. And now, here's your hosts, Jonathan Greenwald and Andre Morgan. On behalf of my co-host, Jonathan Greenwald and I, this is the Longest Drive Podcast. This guest needs no introduction, but we have to tell you who he is anyhow. He's a household name in the running community, also one of Canada's fastest marathoners. In September 2015, he ran a 2.10.28 to finish sixth in Berlin. Most notably, as a Canadian Olympian, he ran in 2012 London Olympics, finished 27th place, then returned with a whopping 23rd place in Rio. He runs for the Canadian World Stage. We're honored to invite Reed Coolset to the podcast. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Wow. This is a crazy tray. Um, before we start, Mom, if you're listening, we have a two-time <laughs> Canadian Olympian on the podcast. Big deal. Big she doesn't deal. listen. <laughs> so so awesome to meet you. I don't even. I mean, we could talk about kind of the connection you have with Dre. I don't think you and I have have, have met. Maybe in a, I think like a one a Scotia like um, shakeout run like 2015 or something when you were with Eric and I think Lanny and we did a medal unveil. And I think you were there. That might have been uh, the one time uh, we connected. But other than that, like this is all like me just kind of reading I run and and Wikipedia to figure you out. So I think this is a real treat for myself and others who uh, are going to get to know you a little bit better. So thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, my pleasure. This is cool. Um, yeah, those uh, metal reveals. I've been to a bunch, so uh, very well could have been one of one of those. Uh, that, those are fun. Yeah. Well, what happens when you win the first Canadian half of those races? They invite you back <laughs> to reveal the medal the next year. I think that's how it works. Yeah, it also it also happens that uh, you know being in Hamilton, Alan knows I'm a pretty short drive away, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the the Canadian stars in Vancouver and Calgary aren't aren't coming for a a six k shakeout. A medal reveal. Yeah. No. No. It's good. It's good. Why don't we, we, we kind of do the same thing with, with a lot of our guests and Reed, I, I want to start with kind of your early days, but I want to start a little bit differently because running may have been a thing, you know, for you in your, in your early days, but you were a big skateboarder earlier. I was watching, uh, I was watching some of the videos. You actually have videos on your uh, blog with cartel friends and I kept watching it to see the names go by and I'm like, holy crap, it's Reed, like yeah, crazy yeah. tricks. And I think even Chris, uh, the Koenig mentioned how they were doing a Scotia broadcast and they were talking about skateboarding. So what, what came first? Was it the boarding or was it the running? Uh, running came first. Uh, I guess uh, probably, yeah, I'm running, running came first. I was running. I think I, f- I figured out that I liked running when I was about eight years old um, wow. at a sports camp, and uh, yeah, everyone would run at lunchtime, and we'd run through the uh, run through the forest, like close to still where I live right now. And I just like trail running. And then, uh, I guess the first time I ran race cross country would have been grade six. Um, so by then, I was already skateboarding for a couple of years. Yeah, I started skateboarding in grade four. Um, yeah, I got a Powell Peralta Lance Mountain deck and. Yeah, so I, I, I skateboarded and I ran. Um, I did cross country every single year, um, uh, grade six right through OAC, like so grade thirteen for people who don't know haven't heard of oh, OAC. Yeah. But um, in high school, once spring came, uh, I didn't want to run track. I so I, I skateboarded. I didn't run. I didn't run high school track until grade twelve, and then um, yeah, ran wow. grade twelve in OAC. But yeah, skateboarding. Skateboarding is a bigger draw, and then by the time cross country season rolled around, I was like, "All right, I, I can I can run for an hour after school and, and then skateboard." That's wild. Yeah, I, I think that's dangerous because at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, I run, but maybe if something do happen on skateboarding, I'll still run again. But I thought that was risky to even play with that sport. But uh, if you love it, that that's what it is. Um, so that means you grew up in Hamilton, and and you kind of use that space as your playground. Yeah, I so yeah, Hamilton's awesome. Um, lots of trails. So yeah, running, running in. Well, you know, when I'm young, when I was younger, I wasn't running in Sulphur Springs so much and uh, and whatnot. But there's just 
right around McMaster and Princess Point, there's enough trails for, you know, you know, a 5K, 6, 7K run or whatever. And then now that I'm running much longer distances, like a lot of, a lot of area to explore. And then the skateboarding scene was great too. Um, we had Beasley Skateboard Park, which is one of the oldest parks in Ontario. Maybe like kind of mid '90s, late '90s, parks started popping up all over the place, um, and Beasley became a bit of a relic. And it's since had a facelift in the last few years, but um, still a tight knit skateboarding scene. And yeah, that's when uh, Chris, Mister Hawaii. He's from Sarnia, but yeah, moved to Hamilton at some point. So kind of connected with him, uh, like through friends of friends. Um, so when he started running, I I remember when he started running because he wanted to do a Terry Fox run, and I was oh yeah, I was I was like saying to everyone like, look, if you're gonna if you're gonna sponsor anybody, sponsor this guy because he is gonna hurt when he runs this 10k because he was not running at the time and he drinking maybe smoking cigarettes so um yeah really good bang for your buck versus you know you you sponsor somebody who runs all the time for the terry fox run 10 k is nothing right nothing yeah i i know dre kind of joked about dangerous and i don't want to like skip two head uh head in your career but at any point did anyone tell you not to skateboard because even kind of like at the end of the video i was watching with you and your friends and one guy kind of misses a landing and he's just on the ground and they're asking if he's okay like you probably felt that a lot skateboarding yeah you know what i think once once uh i was trying to like run once i was trying to the olympic standard in 2004 i slowed down skateboarding a bit like i wasn't doing any handrails wasn't throwing myself downstairs it was more of just manuals and and you know mini ramp or whatever um so i i i I did get it a lot from other people saying like "Eh, maybe shouldn't maybe shouldn't skateboard blah 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 but i was yeah i was still skateboarding um, quite regularly, um, through, through 2012, I guess, but definitely very cautious, very, very cautious. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. And not to take away from the sport, I'm sure it that's just a part of something you're just doing what you love. And then as a byproduct, you possibly even build up some of those muscles that you utilize today, you know? Yeah. Actually the funny part with skateboarding, because you predominantly skateboard one way, like you have either your right leg forward or your left leg forward, you can actually create imbalances. So um, I made it a point to skate skateboard switch a lot, just just to not create that balance. So if I was pushing down the street, um, I usually push my left leg. Um, I would like try to 50% of the time, just do a 180 and then start pushing with my right leg, just to not create those imbalances. But the actual jumping and uh, coordination and balance and all that stuff, yeah, it's great. It's great for running, but yeah, the twisting of the ankles, not, not, not so great. Although having said that, I've injured myself worse running than I have skateboarding. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't, I know there's, there's a couple of injuries we saw that I was kind of reading about that are pretty gruesome and we're not going to talk about them on, on yeah, this podcast. Let's talk about the good we're, stuff. We, <laughs> actually, this is a running podcast, but one last question about skateboarding, if I could read, um, you have a bunch of personal bests on your, on your website, but one of the personal bests kind of jumped out at me a skateboard mile of three minutes and 49 seconds. What's that? Was that downhill? Or what, what was that about? Yeah. So it was, it was on a track, but um, really, the, the track hadn't been, uh, the rubber hadn't been laid down yet. So it was an asphalt track. So it was nice and smooth. Uh, I, I was having a conversation with a friend and so somehow it came up where I just said, yeah, I can, like, I can skateboard faster than I can run. And this, he wasn't a skateboarder at all. And he didn't believe me. And I, and I knew I knew I could just skateboarding around, right? So I went to the track and I did an 800 like time trial just to like make just to see what it would be like to do a sub four mile. And then I like drove to the yeah, so I drove the track, did the 800, then drove back, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'll do I'll, I'll do a sub four right now. And then so like a few guys came and they videotaped it and. Yeah, the last 800 was was much tougher than the first 800. So uh, yeah, did a 349. But when I crossed the line, my leg that not the leg that was pushing, but the leg that was um, stabilizing, and it was just in this one kind of like squatted position the whole time. Like I I couldn't even like hold my body weight when I stepped off my skateboard. It just kind of like gave out. I wasn't ready for that. But yeah, I mean, if you you know if you had big wheels, you could really you could really you could crank out a mile. Nah, that's crazy. <laughs> I never even thought of that. 
Because then uh, at no point, they you probably have to be measured where you don't jump off and run with the board as much so that it could be qualified as your skateboarding, which is like so interesting. Like, who, th- who thinks of this stuff? Sheree, <laughs> yeah. should we talk about running? Let's go. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Yeah, so um, take us through uh, one of the training cycles. So an example would have been in London, uh, 2012. Obviously, that's an Olympic year, but... What was that conventional thing you did leading up to that, and what have you learned since? Yeah, so when I uh, when I started like running marathons, I didn't know if I would have wanted a 16 week build up or a 12 week build up. And of course, in between any marathon block, I'm still typically training for 10k races, shorter races. So you kind of carry that into a, like a training block. And um, we went with a 14 week block to begin with. And then that I like that. And then, but I think by the time 2012 rolled around, I was down to like a 12 week block. I found that uh, I felt like I was holding on to my fitness for the last few weeks with a 14 week block. So 12 weeks was was what I found worked best for me. And during that 12 weeks, yeah, I I would ramp up um, my volume quite a bit, like quite a few weeks over 200 kilometers um, per week, and typical week would be Tuesday doing a fart lick or an interval session. And then Friday would be like a tempo or marathon pace session. And then Sunday would be a long run, um, not that fast. And all the rest of the running in between would be fairly, well, relatively easy, you know, very conversational pace. Um, nothing that's going to beat you up where you're just trying to recover in between the the long run and the speed and, and the and the tempo runs. And yeah, I mean, it's just that that's pretty much it. Repeat uh, kind of like for 11 weeks. And then I, I would say my real taper would start 10 days out, but the real light days are the last five days. So my last week would be including the marathon, like 100 kilometers. So 50% of what I would normally do. And considering 44K, because it's 50%. like 2 Yeah, so like 2K warm up, 42K run. So 44, 44 of that 100K comes in one day. So the last five days really isn't isn't much running at all, but I'm still running each day because kind of keep that momentum going. You don't ever want your body to, if you take too much time off, I think this is a mistake some people make when they taper. They take a lot more time off than they normally do. And then they're, I think their body goes into like a rest mode. It's like, oh, okay, good. We're, we can rest, we can recover, but you still want to stay sharp enough to, to hit, the, uh, hit, the, hit the race at the, at the right kind of energy levels. You speak easy. So I, um, you're talking about easy runs. When I was, oh, I don't remember when this was. It was, I think it was definitely after Krista ran Boston, third place in Boston. I believe she was in Black Toe. She was talking about kind of her experience, et cetera, et cetera. And then someone asked a question about easy runs. And she said, yeah, my easy days, I'm usually about 5.30 a kilometer uh, on my easy days. And to faces of people in the room, they're like, I can run five thirty kilometer, but she stressed the importance of those of those easy days. How how important is that? It, it, yeah, the easy days are really important because I mean, for a lot of factors. So if you want longevity in the sport, um, you need to set up sustainable training. So there's things that we can get away with for weeks, sometimes months, sometimes sometimes even years. You know, either running too much or running too fast. But most people do run into a problem at, at some point by overcooking it because in the short term, you often see gains from, from that. And you get stuck in this mindset, oh, I need to do this because when I ran three, when those three months where I ran, you know, hard every day, uh, I had a good result, you know, but the, the repeatability of that is, is really tough. So I think someone like Krista, who has had a long career and a lot of success year after year has found, and I mean, I coach her now, but this is stuff she learned way before I started coaching her. She, you know, she knew that, you know, in order to to hit the like the marathon workouts two or three times a week, um, she needs to be rested. And those are the workouts and those are the runs you're actually going to make an improvement. A typical runner has, you know, is like they get out the door and they want to accomplish something every day because that's just how people are motivated. But if you try, if you do that, you take away from when you're really going to make the improvements, and that's when you're you know, pushing either your aerobic threshold, your anaerobic threshold, when you're actually like in that zone where you're stressing the body enough 
for it to compensate and make the improvements. Um, so yeah, the, the mistake a lot of people have is they run hard every day. And then by the time they try to do that workout, they're either, you know, they're too tired or they just don't have the, they just don't have the energy to, to get into the zone where they need to get to make that improvement. So it's, it's kind of like twofold. Like it's not the most efficient way to improve and it's also not usually sustainable um, in the long run. So um, yeah, I'm, my easy days, uh, I, I, I like sometimes people are surprised like, oh, you run with Reed on their easy days. And it's like, well, I'm, you know, like I can go and run for 445 per K and that's, and that's fine with me. I don't need to be, you know, be running 345 or, you know, 350 or whatever um, all the time. I just want to make sure that I'm good for my hard days. When you're coasting and you're just kind of, I mean, I imagine, and, and we'll talk about kind of your training now. I know you, you, you wrote a kind of an article and I run about um, staying motivated and stuff. When you're running just for fun, like what's, what's that look like? Yeah, I, I usually get up my door and I try to f- pick a route. Um, if, I, if I pick a 18K loop or a 12K loop, to me, mentally, it's the same thing. Like if, I, if I'm doing, if I do three times 6K loops and like I'm kind of looping back, that, that feels like an eternity for me. So I, I just like to pick a big loop, something that's most of the time, if I can get in the trails, perfect. Um, during the winter time, especially now, everything's iced over, try to avoid traffic and get into Dundas and Ancaster where there's some rolling hills. Yeah. And other than the last year and a half, I, I try to run with people quite a bit just to you know, just you know, have conversation and just have the time go by. But yeah, it's just chill. It's just, I mean, it's just fun, kind of, you know, taking taking it all in. And I get back, and yeah, sure. After a twenty k run, you're going to be tired, but my body, my body feels pretty good. You know, after a protein shake and a shower. You know. Okay, let's bring back to Olympics a little bit. 2012, first experience in London. Holy crap! You're a Olympic athlete, Canadian Olympic athlete, but you're not done. Four years later, go back Rio. What's a what was the difference between kind of how you approached Rio, um, and maybe specifically about the weather because it was crazy hot in in Rio. But what was the difference between how you maybe approached London and how you approached Rio? Yeah, so actually, funny enough, um, the the weather in London and in Rio was pretty much the same. Really? <laughs> because um, uh, it was Rio's winter, right? So. They're, you know, it's, it's cold, right? It's 25 degrees Celsius in their winter. <laughs> Not cold at all, but yeah. Uh, um, but yeah. I, serious, it, I thought you were serious for a second there. No, yeah. 25 degrees Celsius is their winter, wow. right? So it's, it's hot, but it's not their, it's not their summer. Um, and then London, it was, it was in their summer. Um, and we, I think we started at 11 AM, something like that. So yeah, it was also about 25, 26 degrees. So to, to I guess to back up a bit, um, in 2004, I didn't really have my sights on the Olympics, but then I surprised myself and ran within six or seven seconds of the 5K standard. So um, I kind of had this idea. I'm like, wow, like I got a lot closer than I thought. Um, wasn't disappointed at all that I didn't make it. I was just, I was just really happy that I came as close as I did. And so I thought 2008 would be would be the year to make it. And in 2008. Um, I actually slipped uh, while running and I injured my back. And I, I, so I didn't do any races at all in 2008 to try to qualify. Wow. So by the time 2012 came, I was, I was like, okay, like uh, I, I just felt, it, it, you know, it's finally happened. This is great. And my training went, was really good into, into London. Um, it was my best marathon build up to date and just everything was clicking. And then the race didn't, it, it, I finished twenty seventh, right? So um, it was good, but wasn't yeah. wasn't the race I would I had dreamed of. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't stomaching my fluids that that well, and just kind of ran out of um, energy. But I finished that race thinking, you know what, 20, 2016, I'll still be I'll still be like firing on all cylinders. Um, I have something to look forward to, um, and. Yeah, and my, and my best marathons uh, were were still to come. So yeah, in 2015, finished seventh at Rotterdam, and then sixth at Berlin, and then uh, leading up to Rio, I got injured. So it was not looking good at all, and th- and thankfully my body kind of righted itself um, just in time, and and I felt pretty good going into Rio, but missed missed quite a bit of training. But I was I was happy con- considering to finish 23rd, but. 
so the difference between 2012 and 2016 was, um, I think in 2012, I really had this like, ah, oh, my best days are ahead of me, like no worries. And then 2016, it's like, okay, uh, I'm going to be over 40 for the next Olympics. <laughs> so it was it was a bit it was a bit of a, of a tougher pill to swallow to 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 not have the race like I wanted to. Um, but as far as like going to the Olympics, um, I think because I of how close I came in 2004. And then going to Worlds in 2005, 2009, when I was racing at the Olympics, it, you know, of course, like I'm intimidated by the runners that are there. But as far as the whole production of the Olympics and being nervous about being on the Olympic stage and stuff like that, um, it didn't, it didn't really affect me so much. Uh, I think the magnitude hit me afterwards when I was like, oh my God, like I got to wait four more years uh, to do this. But like the, just, I, I think just racing, just racing that marathon with all the best marathoners. I just, I just started thinking like, this is where I want to be. Like, this is so cool. This is everyone's, everyone's doing this one race in the summer. And, um, it just came down to a really just simple foot race uh, when it came down to it. And then, you know, of course, then you go to the, the closing ceremonies afterwards and you're like, wow, this is, this is a big production. You, then you kind of let like start, you know, looking around and, and, and being distracted and letting yourself like kind of take it all in. So you're saying it's a little bit different at finishing Scotia and being in by like um, City Hall in front of the Nathan Square, right? <laughs> Nothing compared. A little different. You know what though? Uh, there's something about Scotia that I just love because there is yeah. there's there is a big crowd there. You're finishing beside the half marathon, like you know the, yes. the half marathoners are running two hours and ten minutes. There's 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 tons of them. So you you know the the last you know last bit is it's really loud, and then there's way more people that know my name, um, as, as I'm running through the, yeah, you know, you the final, the final 2k of Toronto, then, yeah. you know, you go to, I just, I just remember being in London, um, of course. and there'd be packs, there'd be packs in, in London. We had a lot more Canadians watching just because of the ease of travel there. Whereas Rio being a bit further and, and stuff like, you know, you don't hear much. And then, you know, I've gone to races like Fukuoka where I hear maybe like three or four people yell my name, like the whole time. And, um, so yeah, I, I do like, I really do like Toronto for that, um, for that reason. Yeah. Oh man. I never even thought of any of that where it's like a, that last bit, uh, where there's half marathon people in your way. So they think you probably, if someone doesn't even know your name, they're coming in half. Well, so they're yeah, thinking, oh, there's this a good divider. Running a fast half. <laughs> I split. Yeah, yeah, there's a good, oh, okay. yeah. 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 There's a divider. Like it's coned off with like barricades. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, uh, otherwise in the last, like whatever 500 meters would be just be throwing elbows, but no, it's a, it's a clear shot to the, 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 the finish lines are side by side, but yeah, they're cordoned off. Yeah, no, I'm always at the back, so I can't even tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I show up and then they're like removing the tents the and stuff like that. Down. It's like, yeah, and then all the spectators are like going home. It's like, could you Stop. help clean up? No, yeah. no, but, no. Um, no, but to, in, in reality, I just go, just uh, jumping back a little bit to the, the days you mentioned just being, just going slow. I find even now with my training is that I just want to go fast all the time. And it's so bad. I was like, slow the hell down. So my heart rate's up and it's like, you got to dial it back. So a part of it is like, you're in this like good space where you're, oh, I'm doing well, I'm doing well. But when I'm supposed to be doing easy runs, I'm there concerned about what Strava looks like or, oh, I'm comfortable at 4.30, but really I'm like, I can't slow down. So I find that's harder to do now, even if uh, someone's out there saying that they just want to run fast, but it's harder to slow down now. Yeah, I know I know what you're saying because I, and that, that that's one of the, there's, I mean, there's so many good things with, with GPSs and Strava. And there's also a lot of, a lot of like things that you have to like not look at. So I remember when I first got my, my GPS watch, I was like, oh, everything's got to be four flat per K. Just because it was a round number, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but and that only lasted like a week or so, and then I, and then I, you know, I thought, you know what, I I have to optimize my training. It doesn't matter what what the GPS says; it's got to be what yeah, you feel. Yeah, exactly. What like what you're feeling, and then you know, then Strava came around, and all of a sudden these these runs that I would just put in my log and that no one else would see, it's like you know, a bunch of people are seeing it. And at first my Strava account was private and then Strava gave me the pro account with the, and I was like, oh, that sounds great. But then it went public and I'm like, okay, so now I'm sharing my training. Um, it's got to look good. Right. And, and then after a while, I kind of got, it, I got this thing in my head where I was like, I, I got off on like not having the greatest like training, I guess per se, like 
and then delivering at races, right? So just to show that like you 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 do your workouts because you're trying to improve, not because you're trying to pr- like prove your fitness, right? And and there's a big difference there. Like most of my workouts, I could run faster, but I don't think that would mm-hmm. net me a better result come race day. So yeah, it's one of those things where if I see other elites running like under four flat per K all the time, just for their easy runs. And I think, well, you know, like either you're, you've won the genetic lottery and you will sustain this, or you're going to be injured for two months, um, two or three months every year, like year in, year out. Like I want, I want to have the most sustainable training and still deliver at races. So that's like, yeah. So everything that like I, the trappings that I've fallen into with GPS and Strava, um, I've, I've tried to like, like flip, flip it on its head and, and, and figure out, you know, what works for me? How do I just make my training, um, the most optimal I can for myself? And it's hard though, but I still, I still like to come up with pretty Strava routes. So like my loops better look good on Strava. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah exactly. Like no doubling back on the same route. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah exactly. I didn't really do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's to be a, a loop. Yeah. But it's, it's so interesting. That is, is Strava created this like semi pressure and you've been to olympics and you weren't even pressured you know what i mean so it's such a weird space where it's like oh maybe five other people see it but i like the fact you flip it on its head because a common thing that i've seen in anyone that's pro uh coach or just elite they tend to hide their info and it's not i don't think it's because they want to hide their training it's the same thing as you mentioned it's like oh man, people expect me to always just be tearing up, but really that's not how it works. Um, but also you don't want to be accountable to then have someone follow you on Strava and then map that out and copy it. But knowing that they're not capable of keeping or it's not a proper training cycle that you do on on in the public space and it could lead to their injury and assuming that they think they could just do what you do. Um, but yeah, it's just fun. It's so interesting when um, anyone that do it on a, on a high level as yourself uh, don't necessarily just like share everything because it can uh, create a negative space as well. Yeah, I mean, I think some people don't want to share because they think people are going to steal their workouts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the most important thing is is really the effort that you're putting into. It's you know whether you're doing like eight by a k or you're doing ten by eight hundred. Um, or, you know, some combination where you, you know, you cut down, like, like the workouts, um, they, they need to fit the, the, the individual. So it, I don't, I don't mind putting my workouts out there. Like if someone's going to try to copy them and, you know, whether they're a different weather or they're doing, you know, like they, they're putting forth different efforts, like it's, it's, it's not necessarily going to work. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't mind putting all my, all my stuff out there. Yeah. Well, you know, you're talking about Strava and everything. I think one of the things that, I promise, Reed, we're not trying to get free training out of you. (laughs) Free coaching. But one of the the challenges that I'm sure a lot of people face nowadays, and you talk about running easy, is I get up. Sometimes I'm like helping get my kid ready to get to school. And then meetings probably start at work. Or maybe I have a small break. Or maybe I have to break later. And then sometimes I have like 50-something minutes between meetings where I could squeeze in a run. But it's got to be like a 10 or 12K. So now it's like speeding up my pace. Like that contributes a lot to kind of the way I run sometimes. And it's a challenge, like, especially nowadays where everything is all bonkers. It's really hard to run slow sometimes and and be disciplined. And I know it's important, but oh my goodness. Yeah. I I know what you're saying, especially if, you know, if you have like 10 K on your schedule and you want to, you want to fit it in. And, you know, I think, I think it's sometimes in that instance, you just say, you know what, I'm going to run for, you know, for 50 minutes or 45 minutes, like whatever you have and just, and just shoot for time. And, um, I often give a range to my athletes when I say like, you know, run like six to eight K today or, or 10 to 13. And you know, like, I, there's, there's, there's nothing like if you're going to run 10 K, like no one knows if that's the best distance for you to run that day. You know, like a coach knows like within a few kilometers or a few, you know, 10 minutes, you know, five minutes, like here and there, it's the same thing with intervals, right? Like 10 by two minutes, like what's special about two minutes? Why not a minute 50 or two minutes and three seconds, right? Like we, we always, we often find like, you know, we get stuck in the, these like even numbers or, or whatnot. And um, there, there should be a little bit of flexibility in your training. And, but yeah, carving out time, that's, uh, that's the real challenge for a lot of people just 
carving out that time to to fit it in and that I can't help you with. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um oh, let me ask you off the top here too. Were you supposed to do anything in Tokyo? I wasn't sure. Yeah, so um last year I was gonna try to qualify at the Prague marathon and of course everything got cancelled. And I I thought two eleven thirty would be would be a tough challenge for me. That's like the Olympic standard. Um and then of course everything got postponed one year and some uh some younger guys have made improvements in the marathon. So now now the third fastest time is two ten fifty one to qualify for the Olympics in Canada. Because Canada can send three men, three women, and yep. the third fastest man right now is two ten fifty one. And Cam Levin still has to run so he very well could even run a faster time because he already has. Um, and then if he if he did that, then you're looking at 2.10.17, which is what Ben Preisner, uh ran. So yeah, the, the challenge of getting the Olympics is, is looking harder and harder. And I'm not getting any younger, so it's harder for me in that respect. The only thing that is making it any easier are the shoes keep getting better. Um, and people are lopping <laughs> minutes yes. off. So um, I, I'm... I'm, I think the shoes are counteracting some of my aging, but having said that, I don't have a race. I tried to get to a couple of races this spring, but there's very few races that are actually going to go fast enough. And within those races, they're very limited numbers because of COVID restrictions. Um, a big race might be a hundred athletes and that's 50 men, 50 women. And within that, you have all the agents in the world trying to get their athletes in there to make sure they run fast times to keep their contracts. And, and then of course, there's a whole bunch of people like me who are, are looking to run that Olympic qualifier. So as of now, um, I don't have a race. My training is going well enough that if I put a race on the calendar, I th- could, could jump into pretty high level training, I think. But having said that, I, th- th- this was always going to be the, the kind of, the icing on the cake, um, uh, like a third Olympics, it was going to be a bonus. So, um, if I, if I don't get the chance to go, it will be a weird way to end the Olympic pursuit. But I just look at it as, you know, if, if I was in the peak of my career right now and, and I couldn't get to a race, I would, I mean, I'd be stressed. I'd be going nuts. I'd be going bonkers. Like, but it's right now it's just sort of, it's just it's just sort of annoying and and that's about it um i'm still enjoying running so uh yeah <laughs> it's 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 weird to kind of put into words the 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 kind of limbo that i'm in trying to find a race but um it's it's not so bad it's a crazy world right now and a lot mm-hmm. of things that were supposed to happen didn't happen like no one would have anticipated i don't think anything that we're dealing with right now so to have that as a factor rather than like oh i can't do it because i'm injured or i can't mm-hmm. do it because i just you know i tried and i didn't make the time to not even have the like chance mm-hmm. is is what's is what's um the hard part but marie just um last april you wrote an article in uh, i run uh you talked about kind of motivation and like time trials of virtual races and just how, how you just stay motivated. That was April of mm-hmm. 2020 where <laughs> we thought, ah, oh, we're just going to be in this for a few weeks. Oh, we just had to flatten the curve, right? We just had to flatten the curve. That's it. Mm. Right. We're now coming up on a year from the shelter in place, uh, which was like March 16th. All that's kind of not happened in that year. So what, what's your take on, on kind of running and racing and stuff like that now with, uh, and even like the message to anyone out there, that's kind of in the same predicament. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird how my mind shift. And, and I think most people's has shifted, you know, time, time and time again. I think in the very beginning, I just wasn't into virtual races because I thought I'm like, why don't I just do a training block and we'll race in the fall, you know, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, you know, probably by May it's like, uh, yeah, it's not happening. So, the the first thing that the opportunity that that kind of came up was the Harry Spring runoff. I was like, oh yeah, I'll do a five k. That'll be fun. And then before I actually did set off to do the five k, my friend Tyler McCandless from the states was putting together a team with Nick Willis and Mason Furlick to do a four times ten point five k. And yeah, I said, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then I went to do it, and the effort that I put forth that day was way better than anything I had done in the previous, you know, six weeks, kind of when I, kind of like mid-March when I realized everything was going to be shut down. I just kind of, you know, had that lack, that that lack of like that last like motivation and the 10.5K went really well. Um, 
I, I probably could have run faster. I, I didn't realize like how much I'd actually get into it. And then I was like, all right, these virtual races are awesome. Like they <laughs> seem so lame in the beginning because I was comparing them to in-person races. But then once I realized we don't have in-person races, it's, you know, you can't really compare it. You just got to you just got to look at it as the best that we have, right? So then it, 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 it was better than nothing because we didn't have anything else. So yeah, I did the, I did the 5K and that went really well. Um, I think I ran 14.39. And then I did this, the Ottawa Marathon Challenge, which was 10 by 1K to try to, try to like average faster than 2.53 and the rest could be open. So I think I took two or three minutes between each K and average 2.51 and surprised myself again, just just knowing that I was going to submit these results and that other people were kind of competing and, and just and just focusing on, you know, every maybe, you know, what was it? I guess it was, I think I did, yeah, the 5K in June. So 10 by 1K was like a month later. Yeah. So again, you know, maybe like three, like three weeks to six weeks in between some of these efforts. And then, you know, in between this marathon, I mean, the, the train is just kind of like, it's going along and I'm enjoying it, but I'm not that into it. But then when the virtual race came, it was like, it was just an opportunity for me to step up, focus, and I was just really happy with how it went. So I, I still push, push virtual races on people to, to have something to look forward to and just to have in the calendar, you know, otherwise it's just training for months and months and months without a, a target. Now, having said that with, with the people I coach in the Hamilton, Toronto area, I put on a couple of time trials in the fall and the first, the first couple I did were really small. I just invited really just the people I coach and a few friends and they went really well. Um, uh, There's there a PBs, people were surprising themselves. It was just because everyone was like looking for those races again and just having people around, even if it was only 10, 10 people on the start line. Um, and we were, you know, going off my chalk on the Hamilton beach trip start and then finish, you know, and, and you're still kind of looking at your GPS for like that official time. Um, and those went really well. And then I put one more on and like some people would say like hundred people showed up. I think like 80 people showed up, but I was, I was kind of, I was crapping my pants. Then I like people are coming. Oh, pe- like people are taking pic- people are taking pictures. Like they're getting pissed. And I was like, so I'm taking Krista is taking names for the 10 K. I'm taking names down for the five K. Um, and Anthony, um, the other, so Anthony Romanu and Krista Duchesne also coached me at Bayfront Endurance. And, where like I'm taking someone's name and I'm just saying scram. I'm like, and they're like looking at me. I'm like, no, seriously, like get the hell out of here. Go to your warm up. Just scram. Like I don't care. Like I didn't next. want more than um, <laughs> next. I like I forget. We went down to 25 people yet, but I think I think you could only have like maybe 50 or 100 people. There might have still been 100 people, but it looked like when you get 80 people around or something, it looks like it looks like a lot more. So, um, but anyways, like a lot. The, the time trial went really well. And then I put one more on where I actually staggered the starts every 45 minutes. So it was like a group of, uh, usually, usually about 15 to 20 people would come and they would, they would run, they would run the, uh, the 5k and then, you know, 45 minutes later, the next group came, the next group came and that was really manageable. So now looking into the spring, I'm looking to do something similar come May, with a 10k and a half marathon and i'm actually gonna get the course certified this time so it's going to be properly measured and oh you can actually there'll be a there'll be start and finish line instead of just like staring at your gps for that round 10 <laughs> um and then yeah so th- at least at least for uh people who are running you know base front base front endurance and who are in the hamilton area will have um have have something um no no t-shirts or medals but an official time and that's what's amazing about like the virtual bit because the, you don't need an indoor facility and that's hard for anyone that does any other sport that they can't attend. With um, us, we could create a crit and just run it um, just based on you mentioned just having a course there. Uh, but yeah, so that's a, the plus side about the virtual races. So it's not a downside. It's, a, it's more of an up. Uh, so that's the motivation factor. Yeah. I, let, me, let me just ask a quick question, Reed. Not to... I'm going to put you on the spot about this, but you posted, so Nick Rupert smashed the marathon in November. My goodness, like 246. He's an absolute beast of an athlete. And you commented in, um, in your post about 
when he approached you about running a time trial, you weren't like a big fan of the idea. Was it that same concept because you really haven't warmed up to the idea of time trials uh, at the time? Well, that I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still on the fence with the with the marathon time trial. Why is that? Um, well, if if you're a seasoned marathoner and you've done a lot, and you know you're you've done you know say New York and you've done Boston and Toronto and Ottawa, and then you go to try to do one by yourself and you're hurting at 30k, chances are it's going to get ugly and it's not going to be a great experience. Um, and mentally, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's there's 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 an upside and there's a huge downside. <laughs> that is the way I see it. Now, in Nick's case, um, he's still fairly new to the marathon and he was making big strides. So he had run 255 before. And I, I, I actually thought he was capable of around 240, maybe 242. And like, you know, you know, in a normal race with, with people, blah, blah, blah. So we decided to go under 248. Um, so aim for 248. And, and so that way you're running uh, a like a pace that you're well within yourself and you're not riding that fine line because you ride the fine line when you when you try to pb in, in, a, in a race right and if it goes if it goes sour or whatever right but you, know, you, you have a lot to fight for because there's a lot of people around you've paid entry fee you may have traveled blah 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 if you you wake up from and, and and walk two blocks from your condo in toronto and and you're like i'm gonna run 42k today like and things start going bad after you know, like later in the race. It's 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 easy to pack it in, and then you just walk away with it's not a good experience. So I thought in Nick's case, because we want to try to run considerably faster than two fifty five, that running a time under two forty eight that he's well within himself is going to bridge the gap. So the next time he does a marathon, now maybe he's going to try to run two forty or something like that. He's not thinking he's a two fifty five guy. He's he's run two forty six now. So, so that was the case. So like if versus like somebody like a coach, like Krista, who's run a ton of marathons and her personal best is 228. And if she were to run a marathon, like, can I get her excited to run 236, you know, eight minutes slower than her personal best by herself? I don't know. And could I, you know, is, is, is she likely going to try to run a PB? Like, but not at all. Right. So, so for for an athlete like that, and for a lot of athletes, I just I just thought there's a lot of risk to it, and it's also just a really good time to to focus on the shorter distances that aren't is like a lot of times like the the shorter races aren't as big of races like as far as like I mean the Sun Run in Vancouver is big and mm-hmm. it's a big deal there. Um, the 10 Ks in Toronto like there's a couple of good ones, but it's not like Ottawa Marathon. Um, it's not like Scotiabank and, you know, a lot of the people I coach and a lot of people around here, they're going to Boston, New York, Chicago. Uh, one of the guys I coached, he he was going to run Paris in the spring and Berlin in the fall, right? Like that sounds amazing. And when else could I convince this? So this is Gabriel. Like when else could I convince Gabriel? Gabriel um, hey, let's, let's not run, let's not run Berlin in the fall. We're going to do a couple of local 10 Ks. Right, like, like the, the allure is just not there, right? Like Berlin's mm-hmm. a, a, like an amazing city, amazing marathon. So now we have this opportunity that to run the races, like run these distances that will help you in the marathon, um, which are typically a harder sell uh, to to get people to focus on on these shorter distances because the races just aren't aren't as exciting and um, and yeah. So that that was that was the other big reason why I didn't push um, the marathon virtual races and marathon time trials on people and it makes sense cool yeah it's like save it right <laughs> just save it yeah um, exactly for, right just literally save it as simple as that because um again why as you said we maybe you reach 30k and you're feeling it why even tear yourself up for just like um you know a, a fun run let's say just to prove to yourself when you know you, you potentially could do better later on yeah yeah and, and for somebody like gabriel who who's who's run like I mean he's he's got a lot more in the marathon as well but I I truly believe him running 32 low would be would have a bigger impact on his on his next marathon than if he were to who have done a virtual marathon and, and run something like that he's well within himself um yeah he, yeah I think he had more room to improve there so and then that was the case with a lot of a lot of the athletes I coach. Cool. And then, um, so we're going to talk about coaching now just because it, it, it's a nice segue into it. I'm aware, but 
a lot of individuals uh, that's listening to the podcast may not understand the the the, the setup. So, um, so what's uh, Bayfront Endurance? Yeah, so um, Bayfront Endurance came about because I was coaching a few people in Hamilton, Anthony Romanu. So Anthony's an Olympian at 800 meters. Uh, he was coaching a few people in Hamilton and. There was a coach in Hamilton, Cole, who left for the West Coast, and he had a group that ran Tuesday nights. And um, Anthony had a group; his group was running Tuesday nights. And I, I took over coaching a couple of of Cole's athletes, and and one of them, Richard, was like, "Why don't, why don't you start a group?" And I was like, oh, "I was I was always thinking of starting up a group, but I was going to do it once my career wrapped up." Um, and you know, this was last August, so the Olympics weren't going to happen uh, for another year. And I talked to Anthony and it was like, yeah, why don't we just get our athletes together? And then that way, you know, if I'm coaching, you know, five athletes and they're kind of spread apart and he's coaching a few athletes and then a few other people come, then, you know, there'll be people to, to push each other for, for workouts. So we decided, you know, Tuesday nights, we didn't have, we didn't have a name um, for this group. We just were meeting, Hey, let's just get together Tuesday nights. And it quickly grew uh, and then we realized we needed a name. So Anthony and I met like 10 minutes before one of our workouts and he came up with Bayfront Endurance. So we meet at the Hamilton Bayfront um, and we primarily train. People are aiming for 5K um, marathon. We have a couple of people who do, who do ultras and stuff. And yeah, that was, that, was, that was it. And for a pandemic, it grew pretty quickly and we were getting over 40 people out to workouts. And then once the time change happened and we meet at 6 p.m. on Tuesdays, uh, it kind of like that core, the core group of just under 25 people. Um, sometimes it was over because we had to like split the group up um, into two because then that's when the, the 25 max came in. So yeah, it's a great group. They, uh, yeah, they, 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 the, the core, like they, they show up every Tuesday and they, they work hard and we always do an interval workout. So most people will do like longer, either like long runs or long pushes like later in the week. Um, and we just rotate between short intervals one week, long intervals the next week. And then the third week is, is a mix. Like sometimes it's pace changes. Sometimes they're pyramids. Sometimes it's um, like if we did a VO2 max workout, like like much longer rest, it would be on that week or hills. So it, it, the third week, it, it can uh, it's kind of a surprise. It, it changes around just depending on what people need. But it's really cool to see people uh, like pushing pushing each other and and having that that opportunity where people who don't have a group to to do intervals with can just show up and and they know they'll get a good workout in. That's amazing. I, I think we might have jumped the gun here because uh, we're talking about you combining forces with Anthony. But at a certain point, you started coaching. Right. So like, what was, what was that kind of process? Like, when did you decide that you wanted to start coaching other athletes? Um, I, I kind of, I kind of felt like, I don't know, uh, whew, maybe like over 10 years ago, I was kind of like, you know, I, I could see myself coaching in the future. And then sometime around 2014, 2015, a couple of people asked me to coach them. And, uh, I said, yeah, I said yes. And, and I liked it a lot more than I thought it would, um, just kind of, you know, watching their progress and, and helping them reach their goals and whatnot. And so from 2016 until last summer, I, I, I was always coaching and it kind of grew to maybe 15 people. And then I made a Strava group and I didn't even know what to call it. So I just called it Cool Set Running. Um, and I used the Colorado Rockies logo. Um, and that just, that was, that was that. And uh, I, 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 in my, the back of my head, I thought, after 2020, you know, whether I made it to Tokyo or not, like, but, you know, after kind of either trying to qualify or qualifying or whatever, um, that I, that I would try, try to increase, um, the, the number of athletes I coach and whatnot. So, uh, I've always, uh, my profession just kind of dried up, um, last, last March. So, <laughs> um, last year I made $500 racing. <laughs> so yeah, no sponsors, uh, paying me anymore, no appearance fees, no more prize money, um, no more government funding. And yeah, what, after a few months I was like, okay, this, this pandemic's here to last and I don't have a job anymore. Um, there's no races to, for me to go to. So I was like, I should, I should start expanding my coaching. So then I reached out to, uh, actually no, Richard Kuczynski reached out to me cause I, 
I, he, he had heard I was, I was trying to expand coaching and uh, Richard, who, yeah, who you guys had on the, on the podcast, I, I kind of brainstormed with him, like the, like come up with a name. And I was like, I, I don't want to use my, I don't want to use my last name. Um, I just kind of, I was using it for a while just cause I, I, I didn't have any branding. Like I didn't even have an Instagram page or anything. Mm. And he kind of like, we, we kind of like bounced a few things, but because my last name is unique, um, that's cool. It, <laughs> exactly. So, and, and he, he, and, and he, and he actually played on that too, where it was like ready, set, go. So cool, set, go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was like, man, I kind of like that. And then he was showing me different logos and, and then I just, I really liked the, this one logo. And then he kind of like tweaked it a little bit and, and showed me different versions of that. And I'm like, you know, what? I'm just going to go with the logo. So the, the singlets just have a logo on it. They don't say cool set running. Um, we just got hats, same thing, just the logo. Yeah. And, and, and then, so that's when I, I knew I was like, I, I kind of wanted to expand. So got a logo done, had a name. So made an Instagram page and, and just kind of put it out there that I, I coach people. Um, before that, I think everyone who I coached was like knew somebody else I coached. Like it, there was, there was a couple of random ones out there. Like a, um, one of the guys I coached from Slovakia just kind of like cold called me a few years ago and uh, he was a pretty good runner. I was like, hey, why not? Um, this sounds cool. But um, yeah. And so ever since August, once I actually put it out there that I coach kind of been trying to expand maybe like two athletes a month, I don't want to get ahead of myself. And like, I want to make sure I'm still delivering the same uh, quality of coaching. Um, and I like to know all my athletes as well. And, and so to, to just add to, to a month, um, it has been, has been very manageable. And then, yeah, Andre's just got, we just, we just got to go in um, a website. Um, yeah, he hit me up a while ago and with lockdown, I had zero time to like look it over and, um, and actually like edit like what I wanted on it. But the, the look of it, it looks really cool off the bat. So I've been excited about that. Um, it's coolsetgo.run. Yeah, he suggested the dot run. I was like, man, I'm like that's great. And you know, a, a website these days, like I'm not planning to, to update it much, but I just wanted something that if people are searching, they find me easy and they can, they can connect with me um, really quickly. Yeah, exactly. So it looks good. It's as simple and it's exactly what I want. So yeah, it's, it, it's been fun. It's been fun to kind of do my own thing and figure out the business side of it. And it's been a lot of learning, but, um, I just, it, it's, it's, yeah, coaching's coaching's fun and it's definitely a passion of mine. And, um, I'm looking forward to, to helping like as many athletes as I can. I, I love it. I love the branding, the the ready, set, go. Like I, as soon as I was like kind of speak, saying it, like yeah, mm-hmm. that's what it feels like. And the branding and the, and the site and yeah, it's Richard, all, yeah, no Richard joke. always pulls it off. He man. always pulls yeah. it off. Like you know, ninety percent of anything that's uh, cool in the space is his hands on it. Yeah. You know, uh, Pride Run is coming up just now, and yep. he created a medal from then, and it's just like. Just, just, we're so lucky, and I keep saying we're so lucky to have Richard to be able to to bring these things to life. Because in, in Toronto. reality, in Toronto or anywhere really, but he works globally. He works globally. But, no, no, but I'm I saying think, a home, mm-hmm. like a, a person yeah, in like, Toronto right? doing this. I, but just even the idea of so you could have a race and on, you know, have a crit, you know, maybe Bar uh, Barclays or something. Um, but to be able to show it off visually. I think just oh oh neat that is because it shows quality, you know, and everything else will come after the fact. But and and you know, me getting coached by Reed is just like nerve wracking, but it's good. <laughs> but part of it too is like, and if we've just had a conversation last week Tuesday. It's like, hey, I coach, but part of it is like a guideline for uh, you to 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 follow the, the the structure, but not to a T. So as you mentioned, you have uh, ranges. Like today, I'm supposed to do between seven and eight k. So it's like a range to play around with. Versus like you have to do five, you have to do this because, as you said, things change and how you feel that day. So that that's been uh, refreshing so far, and to even. Uh, deal with you one-on-one kind of stuff is another bit where it's like you just download a pdf online you know there's a, there's a difference there when you have someone else that's kind of like just you know giving you an elbow like nudging you and um so far it's been great and you know all of my friends in toronto are like yo you're gonna be too fast and i was just like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know just with the moniker it's just like hey you know um 
we, we're just going to float. We're going to float on. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 It's interesting to coach different people. And yeah, because Andre, you're coming from, you, you, you're not coming from the the high school athlete, the collegiate athlete, where you've been in a, a, in a really um, controlled environment. Um, and so I, I've learned when I do coach an athlete that has come into running later on that they don't want necessarily to, to, to have everything so set in stone, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, that's just not where you're coming from. So you don't want to drastically change it, but to have a framework that's going to allow you to, to, you know, to work hard some days and then like, you know, expand on your long runs, get more comfortable with your long runs, hit the trails. Um, you know, that, that, that's what you need. So that's what, that's what I kind of like about with, with coaching is just trying to get to know the athlete and, and learn how they, like what works for them really. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been fun so far. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing how, yeah. to see how you progress. I know. I can't wait. <laughs> I, uh, it's we're, awesome. We're going to, we're going to do, do more. That's why I see Jonathan out there running. It's like, JG, like, you know, like you're killing it because people have consistency. And that's what you've said from day one. It's like being consistent. And with the training plan itself, I'm able to stay consistent because if I add emotion to it, I'll just not go. <laughs> so um, having just like that guideline, but being consistent from what you said, you're just a simple line uh, has worked, you know, just to, just to let you know. And me keeping up with the guys yesterday was like, what? You know, Bernard and those guys are like, they, they put down numbers. So um, yeah, I, I, as I said, I, I seen the result there. Yeah. What, what I really like uh, about this read is that Coach and Krista, you mentioned that before. She's uh, she's listed as kind of one of the testimonials on your site. And Gabriel is a pretty fast, really fast runner. Nick's a super fast runner, and you've got a number of uh, like super fast athletes. But you don't, you're not just only coaching the people that are like high performance, high potential. Like you're you're taking on and and Richard's another like amazing story, his journey. But you're you're taking on people that that you see something in and you see potential and you're seeing kind of, Oh, um, you know, they, they don't necessarily need to be like a Chris Duchesne type of runner. Uh, but they, uh, but they still have something, something to, 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 uh, to give or to show like, what's your, what's your process for, for taking on athletes and, and kind of, re- and bringing on athletes. Right. Because I imagine that, you know, you're going to put them through the ringer a little bit because you've been through the ringer. So you got the experience. So now it's like, how do you, like, how do you approach new athletes and taking on new athletes? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the things um, that I really like, like one of the first things I ask athletes is, um, I ask them what their goals are in the next half a year, and then you know from six months to twelve months, and, and what they want to accomplish in the next, you know, two to two to five years, or even ten years, whatever whatever it is. And and some some athletes don't know that answer, and I can kind of help them out with that, like with with a conversation. Uh, if they're very new to running, they might not even know what they're uh, capable of. But really, you know, there's a lot. There's a I coach a bunch of people who whose goal is um, to get a Boston qualifier, and you know, so I look at you know, like what's the what what have they run and what's the time they're going to hit and you know what have they run at shorter distances and you know how much how much have they have, have they have they run and how how was like what was their train looking and then you know kind of realistically plot a path for them to reach those goals. And, you know, some, some, I see some athletes, their goals, I'm like, I'm like, you're going to crush that goal, you know, like you're selling yourself short. And then there's, there's been other times where an athlete says, you know, like I want to run, you know, under 220 and they've, you know, they haven't broken 240 yet. I'm like, well, let's aim for a low two thirties first, you know? And, um, so I'll, I'll be realistic, um, with, with the goals because the last thing I want to do is just say, yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, you can run under 220 and then, um, you know, they're, they're struggling in workouts because they're not hitting the times they want to hit or they think they can hit. And then it's just not fun. Right. And if you want to be good at running, you have to enjoy it. Um, so you have to have these goals that are going to, um, they're going to challenge you, but you're going to hit them or at least come close enough where, you know, it's, it's, it, it excites you that you're, that you were as close as you were. And, and, and yeah, so when, uh, yeah, I'll take on I'll take on athlete. I the uh, one of the athletes I just started up in March. She she hasn't run for months and she's doing walk run right. So she's doing you know two minute two minutes running and one minute walking and and, and that's where she is right now and and to see you know where where she'll be in three months um will, it will be exciting to to see that improvement. Um, 
so yeah, any, any, anybody that's just keen, um, and that's going to follow at least most of my training. I know some of my athletes will be like, Oh, Mr. Manche, <laughs> Cause I, you know, had work. I'm like, of course he did. It's life. You know, like, uh, I don't expect to, to, you know, to hit, you know, whatever, like six out of six runs every week. Um, but just having a coach, there, there is an accountability there and it will, you know, get people out the door. Just like if you were to meet someone for a run, you know, it's like, if you're meeting someone for a run, you're much more likely to go on that run than if, if, if you're just on your own. Right. So if you're, if you know, your coach is going to look at Strava, it just might, it just might give you that extra little impetus to, uh, to get out the door. So, um, yeah, it's, it's good. It's fun. Yeah. I like the point about just, um, enjoying the running first and that's always worked. It's like when you're in a rut, it's like, Oh, just start having fun again. And that will always get me out the door because you just, you're going to do the thing you enjoy. Not like, oh, I have to work out. Um, that's the part that helps a lot. Yeah. I mean, people say this all the time, but you have to enjoy the process. And it's just, I mean, it's just so true, right? Like you, you can't always just be thinking about, you know, the, the goal and, and the end result and stuff like that. Like you just, every day you just, you should go to the door and, you know, if it's super windy and it's raining and you're not going to run fast, you know, I tell my athletes, if you go out there and put in a solid effort and you can recover, you're making improvements. It doesn't matter what the watch says. And, and, you know, just, and if you, if you think of that, like, whereas if you focus like, oh, I was supposed to run this run at, you know, 415 per K and I'm running 430 per K because it's, you know, 40 kilometer hour winds and it's, it's super cold. It's, you know, like, it just depends on where you put your focus. Like just if you focus on like, you know, I'm just going to battle these elements and put it in a good effort, you'll get something out of it. And if you focus on not hitting the pace you wanted to hit on a, on a nice bright sunny day, then what you, what you come out of that mentally with, um, and maybe in physically with is, is not going to be the same. So yeah, enjoying the run is, it always has to take priority. I love it. And I, I, um, I think of people listening to this and maybe thinking, well, I don't know, like read coaching me. It sounds, um, I, I don't know. It sounds intimidating, right? Like just listen to the way you're approaching it and, and your kind of philosophy on coaching and stuff. I, I think uh, I think a lot of athletes are going to be really lucky to be uh, to, to be signing on with you, and it's it's pretty amazing to have. Uh, uh, I'll say it again: two-time Canadian athlete, someone in our backyard, <laughs> someone in our backyard, someone who's tearing yep. it up on the trails, someone who's just uh, uh, approachable, right? Uh, mm-hmm. To to run people through the paces and and help them improve. I think it's. Um, I think we're really lucky. So we're grateful uh, for you, Reed, and grateful for you to come on this podcast and to share your knowledge and. Talk about coaching Olympics and all that stuff and how to run slow. We love it. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, so um, one of the things that we close off with is um, who should we speak with next? Well, uh, yeah, so I was I, I thought about this the other day because uh, he won this um, really big race in Texas. Justin Knight um, mm. stepped down in distance to the 1500, ran 336, and he's a Toronto guy. So that's that's why I thought of him right away. And he, he loves the city. He, he loves representing Toronto, even though he lives down in the States um, with his training group. So yeah, I would love for you guys to host Justin Knight and I'll, I'll try to nudge him towards you. Could you please? Okay. I'm just going to, before we go, quick story. And I don't know if I told this on the podcast before. I might have, but I run the Beltline all the time. And I don't even remember when this was, maybe two years ago. I'm running at a Beltline and I see this person running towards me. He's, he's like, he's not even running. He's like floating over the belt line and he's just this unbelievably graceful runner. And he just, he just looks like this incredible athlete and he runs past me and I look at him. I'm like, he looks like Justin Knight. He looks just like Justin Knight. Afterwards, I message him. Were you on the belt line by any chance? Yeah. Yeah, I was. I'm like, Damn, I had an opportunity to say hi and like meet wow. him, but what an unbelievable athlete. I can watch some of his cross country stuff where it comes from like third place or something. He just turns it in and turns on another gear. Whew. So yeah, if you wouldn't mind, Reed. <laughs> yeah, he's his yeah, he he is a pleasure to watch run and um and and loves Toronto. So I think you'd we'll be, be a good match. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. So thanks for we'll that recommendation. So, so Dre, bring us out. Yep. With that being said, this is Longest Strike Podcast. Float on. Peace. Peace.